Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in a few areas of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, Mark chapter 2, as we continue our chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of Mark's gospel, and Matthew chapter 12. Once again, Mark 2, Matthew 12, 1 Peter 5. As you're turning there, let me say we need candy. Um, We need lots of candy. Let me tell you, we like candy at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Okay, candy is holy, all right? On uh, October 31st, it's a holy uh, moment for us to use candy because we use candy as a fishing net to capture the hearts of kids. And so um, I promise if you choose to drop by some bags of candy over the next, uh, either this afternoon, come back to the church, or tomorrow morning, um, we're short. We need a few more bags. I promise not to eat all the Kit Kats, okay? I promise. Now, I did say all. All right, I didn't say some. I may eat some, um, but uh, we just need some candy bags. And let me say that uh, I am personally asking that you would consider dropping off a couple bags of candy. We're going to continue our study, Mark chapter 2. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and prepare our hearts. Father, I'm so grateful for this 1230 afternoon session with you. To be in the middle of our day, to be thinking of you, to learn who you are, I ask now, Lord, that you'd give us understanding into your word. We're so grateful, Jesus, for you. So grateful for your heart for us. And we just ask now that as we study Mark chapter 2, that we would know you more than we did when we woke up this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we went out for dinner with Jesus. And Mark took us on a dinner date with the Lord at Matthew's house, if you remember, because Mark knows the best way to get to know someone is out for dinner. And Jesus, he shares some intimate insights as he's out for dinner with his disciples. You remember, he let us know about his death, burial, and resurrection in a very creative, illustrative way. It's Mark chapter 2, pick it up with me in verse 20. He says, But the days will come, speaking of his death and his burial and his resurrection, when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And in this very verse, Mark chapter 2, verse 20, Mark is letting us know, because Jesus is letting us know when he's out for dinner, about a very intimate detail of his life, his death, his burial, and a resurrection, known in this passage as a time to fast. Then he will introduce us to the Holy Spirit. And he will let us know that the Holy Spirit is represented by a new cloth and new wine. Because the new cloth is so powerful, it will tear the old cloth when it shrinks. And the new wine is so powerful that when it ferments, it will break apart the old wineskin. And so we know that after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he would give us the power of his Holy Spirit. But Mark, he wants us to know Jesus even better. 
I mean, Jesus has called us to follow him, so Mark wants us to know the God-man that we are following. And in this next section, Mark is going to let us know and take the time to let us know that God cares about you. Now, I know you know that, but do we purpose to live that? So, uh, there's no one that knows this better than Peter. In fact, if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse uh, uh, 7, we're, uh, verse 6 actually is where we're going to pick it up. We will learn this testimony of Peter that God does care about you because it's the testimony, it's what he saw living in Jesus Christ. Take a look if you would, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Now, here's an example of humility. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. This is the testimony of Peter. He cares for you. Peter knew this better than anybody. You see, Jesus cared so much about Peter that when Peter was drowning in the Sea of Galilee, Jesus reached out his hand and brought Peter back into the boat. Jesus cared so much about Peter that when Satan was whispering him in in his ears lies and deceit, Jesus would look at Satan in the spiritual world and say, Satan, get from behind me. This wasn't a rebuke to Peter. This was because he cared for Peter and he was removing the enemy from Peter's listening ear. Jesus cared so much about Peter that he tells Peter, Satan is asked to sift you, but I'm praying for you. Isn't that so wonderful to know that Jesus cares so much about you that he's praying for you, he's interceding for you to the Father? Jesus cared so much about Peter that even though Peter failed him, and even though Peter denied him three times after the resurrection, Jesus would restore Peter back into relationship and back into ministry because Jesus cares for Peter. And, Paul, and Peter knew that. Peter knew that Jesus cares. And Peter wanted everyone to know this testimony that if you cast all your cares upon him, he cares for you. Jesus cares for you the same way that he did for Peter. Well, as a disciple of Peter, none of us should be surprised that Mark wants us to know that Jesus cares for us as well. Now, Mark chapter 2, let's go there if you would. Mark chapter 2, verse 23 is where we're going to pick up our story. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Now, it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. They wanted a little bit of granola. And the Pharisees said to him, look, now keep that word in mind, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Let me fill you in with where we're at in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is returning from Jerusalem. He was there just the last Sabbath, and he walked up to a man at the pool of Bethesda who was crippled, who had lied there for 38 years, and Jesus walked up to that man and said, do you want to be made well on the Sabbath? 
And Jesus healed him. But it was the Sabbath. But Jesus wanted this man to know, I care about you. And after 38 years of sitting there, someone walked up to him and healed him. His name is Jesus because Jesus cared about that man. You see, there's no greater feeling than when you know you're cared for. You know what I'm talking about. When your spouse goes out of the way to do something for you, or when someone blesses you in some measure or manner, I'll never forget when I felt cared for. Andre and I had been separated for about four, almost four weeks. I was looking for her. She was looking for me. Liberia had been broken out in a civil war. I had been run for my life. She had been threatened by rebels. Our one-year-old and our two-year-old child had been threatened. We were living in the middle of a civil war, separated from each other, desperate to try to find each other. When I finally got to my wife, almost a month later, I had lost, oh, well close to 30 pounds. My kids were so afraid of me when they saw me that they literally ran from me. Andre and I were done. We were depressed. We were discouraged. We had been shot at. We had run for our lives. We were wondering what in the world is going on. We were discouraged. I mean, think of a D word and we were it. And I called a friend of mine whose name is Bill Palowick. And I said to him, everything that I just said to you. Well, that day, Bill Palowick bought a plane ticket. Bill Palowick, who hates to fly, who doesn't like heights, bought a plane ticket in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The very next day, he flew from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to the Ivory Coast in Africa, and he called me at the airport and he said, come and pick me up. I'm here to be with you. Let me tell you something. I've never felt more cared for in my life. The fact that he took a sacrifice of time, took a sacrifice of his own treasure, his money. He paid for this ticket. He got on a plane and he wanted me to know I care for you. Let me tell you something. He rescued me. He was like Jesus to me. He rescued me from a place of depression and despair. I was so discouraged. And just the fact that he was there to show that he cared, it blessed me beyond measure. It's like you giving to a meal to someone who's hurting. Or visiting someone who's alone. Or maybe sending a, a random text message to a friend who's discouraged. Or maybe giving an offering to a missionary that's in need so that they can accomplish what God has called them to do. You see, showing you care to someone? Well, these guys, the disciples, they had walked for three days. It's 168 kilometers from Jerusalem to Galilee. This is a three-day journey, and they've left one Sabbath. Now they're on their way back to Galilee. They're coming into Galilee and in this three-day journey. Now, let me explain what happens here. This is like some of us going on a vacation to Arizona or Northern California, and we get hungry, and we pull off the ramp, and we stop at Whole Foods, and we get a little bit of granola. That's exactly what they're doing. They went through a grain field to get some granola. Now, I know none of us go to Whole Foods. It's too expensive, right? I mean, it's like, who will pay that amount of money for a piece of granola? But the reason why I mentioned Whole Foods is because this was coming right off the grain, and Whole Foods tries to convince us that everything they have is organic. 
My wife brought home, not from Whole Foods, but she brought home the other day organic ketchup. And I looked at it and I go, what is organic about this? It's in a plastic j- uh, jar. And organic to me is like you pick the tomato, you smush it, you add your own sugar that you took off the cane, and then it is like organic ketchup. Not something that you buy in the store that's an extra dollar because it says organic on it. Amen? <laughs> now, some of you are like, don't mess with my organics, okay? There's no greater feeling when someone cares. And these guys were hungry. They pulled off on the side ramp. They just wanted to have something to eat. And so they pick some of, from the field, some of this granola. This was totally legal to do in Jewish law. You can glean from the fields. But the Pharisees, they've been watching. They'd follow Jesus all the way from Jerusalem. And as soon as the disciples grabbed the granola, the Pharisees went like this. Look! How creepy. I mean, they've been watching Jesus all the way from Jerusalem. And I call them like the creepy pop-up Pharisees, right? I was like, where were they hiding? Where were they? Then all of a sudden, they just pop up out of nowhere. Look! They're breaking the law. They're not even breaking the law at all. The Pharisees, these creepy guys who are peeping in on Jesus and everything that he does, they just pop up out of nowhere and they accuse the disciples of breaking the law, but it has nothing to do with Jewish law. It had everything to do with their traditions. Their traditions. And they had made their traditions the commandments of God. Now, Jesus is going to deal with this in Mark chapter 7. But for our purposes, let's just talk about the Sabbath for just a moment. You see, Moses gave a commandment that we're to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And in the law, we only find about four things that describes what that means. Not to make a fire. You're not to carry a burden or gather fuel, and you're not to have any transaction of business. But that wasn't good enough for the Pharisees. They wanted to help God out. They thought, let's define and itemize each one of these things, and we're going to write an entire book called the Mishnah that will describe these four simple things that God intended for us to do in regards to remembering the Sabbath. They even made the decision on how many steps you could walk. Now, pregnant ladies, imagine you're allowed to walk 636 steps, but the hospital is 638. Do you hop on 635? I mean, just imagine the... No, you can't move. Ah, I'm going to have a baby. Not till the sun goes down. I'm sorry, but that's not possible. Just imagine they had put such a burden on people when this was not the heart of God at all. Listen to what Jesus says. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Say that word. I will give you rest. Matthew 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 28, the heart of Jesus is to give us rest. The heart of the Pharisees was to put a burden on people and add to God's law, and it was a burden that they themselves were not willing to bear. So what Jesus does, he tells a story. 
He pulls this story out of the Old Testament. You can read it later. It's 1 Samuel chapter 21 about King David. So let's pick it up there in verse 25, Mark chapter 2, and listen to the story. Now, he pulls this story to pull a point. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? There's the point. He and those with him. How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread which is not lawful to eat except for the priest. And that's very true. And also gave some to those who were with him. Now, I need you to see something the way that Jesus started this. Have you never read... Now, just imagine, you are the religious leader, and this man is asking you if you ever read 1 Samuel chapter 2. Of course I have read 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, I love the etiquette of Jesus. If, this, if I was Jesus, I would have started out like this. Look, you little creep. Have you never read 1 Samuel chapter 21? Okay, thank God I'm not Jesus, okay? So... <laughs> Wow, way too loud. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, Jesus, he so wonderfully addresses, and he says, have you never read? Of course they've read. They've transcribed the Bible. They, They were responsible to know the Bible. You see, they read, but they didn't understand the heart of God. They read, but they didn't understand the heart of God. You see, later on, we're going to learn that Mark is going to let us know that they didn't know the Scriptures. They didn't even know the Scriptures. You see, when we go into Scripture and we have our devotions, our hearts should be to understand the Word of God. Now, some of you are going, well, wait a second. I'm in the book of like Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. How in the world do I understand some of the things that are in the Old Testament? Because when you're reading the Word of God, you're not reading a book. You're having a conversation with God. Don't confuse the Bible for a book. It's God speaking to you from his word. It's like you having a text message conversation with your bestest of best friends. And so when you go into the word and you don't understand something, I want to give you a little tip in grabbing and grasping understanding of the Old Testament. When you're reading the Old Testament, read it through the filter of what you know about Jesus. So when you're reading in the book of Numbers, and there were 36,292 people of this, and there's 2,400, you're like, what in the world? There's something you know about Jesus. Jesus is very specific, and Jesus is very detailed. In fact, he is so detailed that you can prove the Bible wrong at any point because it's got so much detail in it and not one archaeologist has been able to prove it wrong to this day. You see, we learn in the book of Numbers something so wonderful about Jesus. He specifically loves you. You see, there's an understanding when we read the Word of God that we should read it for understanding, not just to read it. And the one thing that Jesus pulls out of this David story from 1 Samuel chapter 21 is that David had a need, that David was hungry. The Pharisees never caught that. They just knew the story. They didn't know the heart. David was running for his life. He was running for his life from King Saul, and he had some guys with him. And he's looking at his guys, and he goes, wow, these guys are hungry. 
There's something powerful that you need to learn about David. David was a man after God's own heart. Take a look at the screen. It's 1 Samuel 13, 14. This is speaking about David. But now, to Saul, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And that person is David. And I need to let you know what a man after his own heart is. A man after his own heart is someone who wants to know God's character and wants to be like God's character. And what Jesus is pointing out in this story is that David was a man after God's heart. David saw that his guys were hungry, and so David wanted to make sure that they could get something to eat. And he knew the only place in the desert that there would be food was at the tabernacle, the place of God where all the priests were. So he goes there, and he asked the priest for the bread, but he wasn't supposed to eat the bread. But David knew that his guys were hungry. So the priest gives him the bread, and God doesn't condemn David for eating it. And what Jesus is trying to get across in this story, he's trying to express that God cares about your needs. He cares about your needs. Last Sunday, I took my mom out for lunch after the third service, her and a couple of friends. And we went down to 6th Street in San Pedro. And like I told you, true to San Pedro, there was a huge party going on. We could not find a parking space anywhere. We looked for about 15, 20 minutes. Finally, my mom prays, Lord Jesus, you know my knee's not good. Would you provide a parking space for us right in front of the restaurant? I turn the corner. Someone is pulling out of a space right in front of the restaurant, and we pulled right in. And I looked at my mom. For real? I go, could you start praying for me? Because, like, I think Jesus listens to you more than he... No, let me tell you something. God cared that my mom has a bum knee at almost 80 years old and heard her prayer and had that guy pull out right when we were coming because he cares about our needs. He even cares about you not having to walk that far. Now, listen, don't you pull into Walmart during the Christmas season. Don't you do it. Lord, I want a closer spot. No, no, no. If you can walk, park the furthest away so that people like my mom can park closer. Amen? I'll see you in Walmart this Christmas. Jesus cares about our needs. And take a look at this power verse in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. So he says to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. This is a power verse. The Sabbath was made for man. Now, I need to go back to when the Sabbath was made so that you can understand this. Do you remember? They're there in the wilderness. The children of Israel have been slaves for 400 years. Never had a day off. Never had a day off. Over 400 years of bricks and mortar. You've seen the prince of Egypt, okay? So, 400 years. And God comes on the scene and he goes, I command you. Everyone gets a day off once a week. Now, you're a children of Israel. You've not had a day off your whole life. 
And all of a sudden, God says to you, I'm giving you a day off a week. Are you looking at this as the Ten Commandments? Or are you looking at it like, like, wow, you're giving us a day off a week? I can't believe it. Not only that, God's benefit plan is so out of this world. Uh, listen, he was giving them six weeks of holiday. I want to work for God. Six weeks of holiday, a day off a week. This was unbelievable. These people were rejoicing. They weren't going boo-hoo. They were going, woo-hoo, this is awesome. God cares that we get rest. God cares that we get rest. This day was given to refresh us, to recharge us, to rejuvenate us. Do you know that most sicknesses are caused by stress because you don't rest? Do you know that we wear our body down? God, who knows our body better than anyone because he's the creator, he says, take a day of week. Be recharged. Be refreshed. Be rejuvenated. Even Jesus, after the mission trip the disciples went on, he said to them, let's go aside and rest a while. And he took them on a spiritual retreat to Caesarea Philippi. And while they were there, he says to them, who do men say that I am? And he's defining for us where we can find this rest. As we get to know Jesus more on our Sabbath, we will be refreshed. We will be rejuvenated. We will be recharged to face our week. The Sabbath is like an insulin shot that helps the diabetic live life well. Church. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, what he's telling the Pharisee is, you're not. He's the authority. He knows what the day was intended for. You see, the Pharisees were upset. Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. Oh, he healed him on the Sabbath. I can't believe you did that. You told that man to pick up his mat and walk. You made him work. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I can do that. Now creepy pop-up Pharisee comes up in those grain fields as the disciples are eating some granola and they say, look, you're not doing what's lawful. Jesus says, wait a second. I created the Sabbath. If anyone knows what it's for, I know what it's for. You don't. You see, we're going to see what their intent is in just a moment. But before we do that, Mark wants, he's not done letting us know how much Jesus cares for you. Take a look at Mark chapter 3 now, verse 1. And he entered the synagogue. Now Matthew lets us know it was their synagogue. So we're now in Galilee, and this is the synagogue that they're in charge of, okay? He entered their synagogue. I'm going to add that from uh, Matthew's gospel. And a man was there who had a withered hand. He had a disability. So they watched him. They're so creepy. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. You see, it's interesting. I have found that sometimes when I get an email, and it starts with, Pastor Chet, you are the greatest pastor. I immediately stop and pray because I know what's coming. And it's amazing to me that if you're looking for something wrong, you will find it. It's amazing. 
If you come with a judgmental heart, you're going to find it. And that's what happens with the Pharisees. They're now looking for something. They want to find whatever it is that they can accuse Jesus of. There's a man there with a withered hand. Now, what I need to do for just a moment is take us out of the 21st century and take us back to the 1st century. Because here in the 21st century, we have disabled parking spots. We have ramps. We have made wonderful accommodations in the 21st century for people with disabilities. Praise the Lord for the development of culture and community. But back in the 1st century... They didn't have disabled parking spaces. They didn't have ramps. They didn't have any accommodations. In fact, if you were born with some form of disability, they thought you were cursed of God. Isn't that horrible? Isn't that horrible? Thank God for our theology. It was Jesus when he was asked, and they said, was this, did this man sin or did his parents sin as to why he was born blind? And Jesus debunks that theology, and he says, it had nothing to do with sin. This man was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed in his life. Jesus debunked the theology, but the Pharisees were stuck in it. You remember John chapter 9. When, remember when the man was in front of the Pharisees and the man that was blind, he could now see? And he goes, look, all I know is once I was blind, but now I can see. And he, says, he said to the Pharisees, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you know what they said to him? In John chapter 9, they said, you were born into sin. In other words, you are cursed of God. We don't need to listen to you. Now imagine with that kind of mentality, how having a withered hand in your community would affect every aspect of your life negatively. When you would go to extend the right hand to fellowship, because Luke tells us that it was his right hand that was withered. When you would go to extend the right hand, people would look, oh, he's cursed. Can I touch him? Can I not touch him? I don't know. I mean, like, what did you do? Think of the feeling that you'd have going to work. Probably no friends. Your whole life, you've got a withered hand. Now, I understand this. You see, when we adopted our son, his hand looked like this. When he was two years old, he rolled into a fire. And his mother, in the jungle in Africa, she wrapped his hand for about three or four weeks and didn't undo the wrap. And then when she undid it, the scarring was so bad, his hand actually fused together. So in Liberia, everyone expects some form of disability, like some form of handicap, some form that it's just a part of culture because Africa's hard. So there was never like an issue when we were in Liberia. But when we moved to the States and he would go to shake someone's hand with his right hand, they'd always turn it and look at it. And they'd go, what happened? And then they would go, what's wrong? Well, you're just moving from Africa. And I'll never forget when my oldest son was turning 16 years old, he looked at me, I looked at him and I said, hey son, what do you want for your birthday? He goes, dad, I want a new hand. Because everyone makes fun of me. I want a new hand. 
Well, let me tell you, I'm a dad. I got two jobs. And we got that surgery, and 144 stitches later, my son can now do this with his hand. I care for my son. I don't want him to feel devalued. I care for him. Now listen, I need to finish the end of the story. We were short $2,238. I had worked, I'd done everything, and my wife's like crying out in prayer, Lord, we're short. She's opened up the mail. She starts crying. We got a check in the mail for $2,238. Now let me explain what happened. Six months prior, we had rain come into one of our windows, and a home adjuster came, and it only cost us like, I don't know, 100 bucks. but they sent a check for $2,238. And listen to who it was signed by. My wife hands me the check. It was signed by Jesus Martinez. And Andrea looks at me, and she goes, Jesus sent us $2,238. And let me tell you why. Hey, Zeus Martinez sent us that check. Because Jesus cares about us. He cares. And he cared about my son. And he cared about the way that my son felt because of what he was experiencing. You see, you have to understand... This was a setup. Matthew's gospel tells us it was their synagogue, and Matthew's gospel tells us that when Jesus walked in, they looked at Jesus and said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They wanted to accuse him, and I find it very interesting. They were so dependent on the caring nature of Jesus that they knew if Jesus walked in and saw this guy with a withered hand that he would care so much about him, he would do something about it. And Jesus does something about it. You see, this story reminds me of Daniel. Do you remember when they wanted to accuse Daniel and get him killed? They couldn't find anything wrong with his life except that he prayed a lot. So they said, okay, we're making a law, 30 days. No one can pray to anyone but the king. You know what Daniel did? (laughs) He went to his house. He put his knees down on the ground, opened up his windows towards Jerusalem, and he prayed to the God of heaven. How great it would be that if you were put or I were put in a court of law, the only thing that they could find is that we were like Jesus. That we're like Jesus. The only thing we'd be guilty of is that we care like Jesus and that we pray the same way that Daniel did. That's what happened with Daniel and Jesus. But take a look at Mark chapter 3, verse 3. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Jesus cares about this man's well-being. So he tells the man to come because he cares about our well-being. This same plea is to each one of us. When Jesus tells this man to step forward, he's saying, come to Jesus with your needs. I care about your overall well-being. And he called this man publicly in the same way that I call people publicly each and every Sunday. And this man had a choice to make. Was he going to come when Jesus called him in the same way? Are we going to come to Jesus when he says, I care about your needs. I even care about where you park. 
I care about your hand. I care about your rent. I care about your mortgage. I care about the person that you're going to marry. I care about every part of your life because I care about your well-being. And as this man is coming forward, Jesus uses this moment to express a truth about himself. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Let's fill in our story a little bit. Matthew chapter 12. Let's take a look at verse 11. Matthew chapter 12, we'll pick it up in verse 11. Jesus, as the man is coming forward, he says this, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay a hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more, look at this word, value then is a man than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good, on the Sabbath. You see, I don't believe that Jesus just picked this illustration out of a hat. I think as one of those little creepy pop-up Pharisees were on their way to synagogue, that one of their sheep fell into a pit. And he had to lift that sheep out and quickly put it in the pasture before anyone saw that he was working. And I believe that Jesus went like this. Which one of you have a little sheep... That would probably be me. I would probably, and I would probably go, which one of you creepy little Pharisees? <laughs> Not Jesus. He doesn't call anybody out. But that person knew who they were. And he says, which one of you having a sheep? In other words, I know what you just did. Which one of you having a sheep would not pull it out of a pit? How much more value is a man than a sheep? Church, I hope you hear that. No matter how devalued, depressed, despondent, discouraged you are, you are valued by the creator of the universe. You are so valued. David was so amazed by this. In Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, take a look what the scripture says. What is man that you even care about where they park? Sorry, I added that. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You take care of our need. David was so amazed that God was so involved and thought God was valued his life so much. He was so amazed. He goes, what is man that you care so much about us? Let me tell you how valued you are. In Romans chapter 8 verse 4, Excuse me, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, God demonstrated his own love toward us, his own care toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He cared so much for you that even when you didn't like him, he still cared for you. Now, it's easy to care for my wife and children. It's much harder to care for people that don't like me. Amen? Okay. So it's easy for you guys to care for people that you don't like. It's difficult to care for people that you don't like. But Jesus, when you didn't like him, he died on the cross for you. His care for you, his value of your life was so much so that he stretched out his hands and died on the cross. Now take a look. Go back with me to Mark chapter 2. So he tells the guy to step forward. Now take a look at what they do. 
the end of verse 4, Mark chapter 3, verse 4, but they kept silent. And we looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of the hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. Of course they kept silent. Because when someone is speaking truth, you can't debate it. You can't debate it. It's like you trying to prove to me there is no gravity. All I have to do is jump. You're silenced at that point. Truth is truth, and it silences lies and deceit. That's why Jesus says the truth will set you free. You silence the enemy when he lies and deceives you. Now, I want you to see something here, church. It's very important. The hardness of their hearts towards humanity made Jesus angry. You can read it. The hardness of their hearts towards humanity made Jesus angry because Jesus cares about people. And these guys were the religious people. If anyone should have been representing the heart of God, it should have been them. You see, Jesus, he made it very clear, the greatest commandments is love God and love for people. Care about people. And if we don't care about people, it actually makes Jesus angry. It actually grieves him. Because the greatest display of our knowledge of God is not that we know a memory verse. It's the way that we care for people. So Jesus so cared for this guy, he said, stretch out your hand. Now you're the guy. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Does he know that I've been planted here to catch him? Is is he going to embarrass me like everyone's done my whole life? Stretch out your hand. I don't know. I mean, like, can I trust you? Do you really care for me? Do you know what I've struggled with my whole life? Stretch out your hand. This guy's got a choice like each one of us. Are we willing when Jesus calls us and tells us, I care for you, I know we believe it, but do we put our belief into our behavior and do we reach out our hand to Jesus and say, I need a parking space? Lord, I need. And are we willing to get beyond our fear, to get to the place of faith like this man? Because how many of us, how many of us are surprised that Jesus came through like a champion? Are like, are you like, wow, Jesus really healed him? Pretty cool. Like, like, how many of us are like, of course Jesus healed him? Because Jesus cares. And Jesus cares about your well-being. So when he calls you to stretch out your hand towards him, he means it. When he says to you, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you, he means it. This guy had a choice. He heard the news that Jesus could heal, but he knew why he was there because the Pharisees had planted him there. And even though he was an enemy, when he reached out his hand to Jesus, Jesus restored him. Now let me tell you what this word restored means. This word restored, it means brings it back to what it should be. And that's beautiful, isn't it? In other words, Mark is trying to let us know that Jesus cares so much for us 
that when we stretch out our hands to him and we bring to him our needs, he will restore our life back to what it should be with him. Now, church, listen. You would think at this point, everybody in the synagogue is going, Woohoo, Jesus, he healed the withered hand. Not so much. Remember, you got the, you got the creepy Pharisees that are popping up all over the place, and they're looking for something. In Mark chapter 3, verse 6, we end here. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Here's the problem. Don't ever forget we have an enemy, and he hates when lives are restored. He always tries to destroy the work of Jesus in our life. But you need to hear something. Don't allow the lies and the deceit of the enemy to keep you from reaching out to Jesus who cares for you. He cares about every detail of your life. So cast all, not some, cast all your burdens on him because he cares for you. Amen. Our Father, we come before you today, and as we celebrate communion, we want to remember you care for us. Jesus' name. Jesus asked this man to stretch out his hands, because one day Jesus would stretch out his hands on the cross, and he would express his care and concern for us by giving his life. And he asks us to remember this moment, to remember his broken body and his blood that was shed. And today, before we take communion, I'm going to ask you to remember the Lord. And I want you to remember one thing about him. He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares about where you're at. He so values you that he died on a cross for you. And church, I'm going to give you just a moment to pray. And I'm going to ask you to take your need, stretch out your hand to Jesus, who's already said, step forward, stretch out your hand. I care for you. Bring your work situation to him. Bring your life situation to him. Express your need to him. Trust if he can provide a parking lot for my mom, a parking space for my mom, he can provide a parking space for you. You take time to Give him your need. Stretch out your hand. Give him that son who has gone astray. Give him that spouse who you don't feel loves you. Give him that work situation. Give him that rent, mortgage, car need. Give it to him. He cares for you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.